your story. Well, my name's Pastor Ben, and it's been my privilege to be working through this series with you week after week called Better Together. But today, it comes to a close, and as I bring it to a close, I need you to use your imagination a little bit, or at least your memory a little bit. I want you to remember back to your wedding day, all right? Thinking back to your wedding day. Now, I know as I look around the room, some of you are too young to get married, right? You're not ready to make that commitment or walk down the aisle. So for you, I need you to do me a favor. Just, just pretend, right? Just grow up in your mind a little bit and think, okay, I'm 25, I'm 30, I'm ready for that commitment. Just kind of visualize what that would look like. Now, I know some of you in the room, your story might be similar, but, but different. You're older, and you just decided for you, marriage just was in the cards. It wasn't something you were interested in. So in the same way, do me a favor and just pretend, right? Just think of if you were interested, what would that day look like? So I have everyone kind of visualizing what their wedding day might look like. Now, I know there might also be another group in the room. And this group, you might have gotten married and you thought it was going to be your dream day, but your dream day turned into a nightmare because the person you thought was going to be Prince Charming turned out to be the exact opposite. And for you, there's just a, a lot of pain there. There's a, a lot of dysfunction that you experienced and just a lot of bitterness that you have. And if you fit that category, just do me a favor, just, just for a moment. I want you to just kind of put that back behind you and just live in the optimism of what you were hoping your wedding day would be like. So here we are. We are all at our wedding day, and it is perfect, right? The weather is perfect. You, you look perfect. You've got the right dress, the right tux. Your friends and family are there. Everything is great. Right? All the stress of leading up to that day, it's, it's behind you, and now you just get to experience this wonderful day celebrating that the love that you have for your future spouse. And so you line up in the back, the doors open, and you start making your way down to the front. Or maybe you're the groom, and so you're up front, and you're watching your bride walk towards you, and nothing could be more perfect than this moment. You make your way up on stage, and you can't even hear the pastor because you don't really even care what he has to say, right? You're just trying to get to the kiss, and he comes to the vows, and he takes out a, a black binder, maybe something like this, and says, face each other and repeat after me. And then he opens it up and he systematically walks you through the process. And he says something like this. You probably remember this if you've been married. He says, I take you to be my husband, or I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish for as long as we both shall live. This is my solemn vow. Now, as you say these vows back and forth, the weight and the gravity of these words don't even affect you. Because in your mind, you, you can't even think of, of a possibility that there might be a, a for-worse situation, that there might be a for-poor situation, that there might be a sickness situation. Because after all, we've all been designed by Disney to believe that if we just find the right person, then we will all live happily ever after, right? That's what we've been told. But we aren't that naive, right? We aren't children. We aren't that naive as people. 
And as believers, we definitely aren't that naive because last week, what did we talk about? In chapter 6 of Ephesians, we saw that we have one enemy, and that enemy is not flesh and blood, which makes this enemy far more scary, right? Satan is our enemy. And how the Bible depicts him as somebody who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and his main tool is lying, which means even in our most trusted relationships, he can create horrible, horrible dysfunction. Now, the good news for us as believers is we know that he does not win the war because Christ ultimately wins the war, but he does win some battles along the way. So today, as we look into Paul's words, what we're going to hope is that even though he might win some battles incrementally, my hope is that he doesn't win the battle or the war in your life. This is what Paul says. So then, putting away all falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Now, today, we're doing something interesting. We, we made our way all the way to the end of Ephesians in chapter 6, and now we're kind of backtracking. So I, I really need to give you a quick refresher, because you probably don't remember what we talked about like a month ago. But this is what Paul has been talking about surrounding this section of Scripture. He's been talking about the unity that we have in Christ Jesus, right? Through our, our trust in Christ's promises, through our faith, through our baptism, we are united into this relationship forever. This is our, our for better, for worse vows. Now, the good news when it comes to Jesus Christ and, and God, we know that there is no for worse, right? It's always for the better. But the reality is we're also united to each other. And there are some very real for better or worse realities. That's why my old senior pastor at my old church used to say it this way. He said, you better figure out how to get along because you're going to spend all of eternity together. This is what Paul is implying here, that our option is not to run away. Our option is to figure it out. So he says, speak the truth. Now, this is complicated, isn't it? Because I, I can speak the truth all day, and I can, I can spew the truth like a machine gun, and I can do just a, a lot of damage. And that's why Paul, just before this, says, when you speak the truth, you must speak it in love. Now, how do we know what's loving? Right? How do we know that we're speaking the truth in love? Well, the big clarifying question is this. If the words I say or the actions I do don't connect somebody in a deeper relationship with God, in a deeper relationship with me, then I've failed. Because God's ultimate goal is what? A deeper connection with him and a deeper connection with each other. He says this in the great commandment, love God and love others. Because there's, there's a huge difference between me standing on the street and screaming at people as they go by, you are a sinner, you need Jesus, or you're going to burn in hell for all eternity. Versus me going to a friend, maybe at a coffee shop, or inviting them over and saying, look, I love you so much, I've got to tell you something. That you have a heavenly father who loves you more than you love yourself. And that's hard to imagine, but he loves you more than you love yourself, and he sees you as incredibly valuable. Even when the world doesn't see you as valuable at all, even when you don't feel like you have value at all, 
He sees you as incredibly valuable. In fact, he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins so there was nothing that would separate from you, him from you. So you could have a relationship in this life and the next life. You see how both statements are true, but one connects them in a deeper way with Jesus and one maintains my connection with them. Well, Paul continues in this mindset. He says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Now, anger, what is is anger? Anger is an emotional response that every one of us has. We, We all get angry. Anger is a tool from God to awaken us to a reality that something has gone awry, right? Something has gone wrong. We need to analyze it and look at it, and then we need to resolve it. Anger is a gift from God. In fact, in the Bible, it says that even God gets angry. So anger is not a sin. It's what we do with that anger that makes it good or bad. Let me give you an example. Now, this is uh, an imaginary story, okay? But it's not, not far from probably how it would go. I want you to imagine I'm in my backyard and I'm building something, which means I have my power tools out and, I, and I've got my work boots on. I've got maybe my, my jeans on, some knee pads on. I've got some gloves on. I've got my uh, safety gear on. So I've got my eye protection and my ear, ear muffs on to muffle the sound. And I'm out there, I'm working with my circular saw. Now, after I do this for about 10, 15 minutes, I, I look over and I see my two-year-old son, Cooper. And this is totally something he would do. I see Cooper over there with his rain boots on. He's got some gloves that he found somewhere that are like my size. They're way too big. He's got his sunglasses on and he's got his lawn mowing sound protection on. Right? He looks just like me. And I look over at him sitting on the porch and I stop what I'm doing and I walk over to him. I said, Cooper, it's so cool that you want to be just like dad. Like this just melts my heart, Cooper. But I do have to tell you something. What I'm doing is incredibly dangerous. These tools are incredibly dangerous and you can get really, really, really hurt. So you can sit here and watch, but you cannot come over here. You cannot touch the tools. You can't come near me. Don't surprise me. You, you just sit right there. You get all dressed up like dad. That's fine, but just sit right there. So I go about my work. I make my way out to my truck as I grab some, some more wood from the front, a two-by-four or something. I come back around. Where is he? He's on the circular saw, right? Because he wants to be just like dad. And he's just about to pull the trigger and it's right on his lap. And, and you just have all this, this stuff flowing through your mind of the horrible things that could happen. And you get upset. You get angry because he's disobeying you. And in that moment, I have a choice of how I'm going to respond. Now I might run to him. I might push him away. I, I might yell and scream at him and swear at him, make sure that he knows that, that I think he's, a, he's an idiot for doing this, right? I might slap him around. I could do all sorts of things that would do more damage than the physical injury of nicking himself with a saw because I had an emotional reaction that was meant for me to analyze the situation, realize my son was in danger, and then create a solution. But instead... I respond in a very negative way. This is what it means to give the devil a foothold when we have this type of emotional response. Now, that's one way I could do, deal with that moment, but what if I did this? 
What if I came around the corner? I see the exact same thing. He's holding the circular saw on his lap. And of course, I panic because I love this little kid. And I can't imagine him going through this type of pain and, and having a permanent injury. So I run over there. I unplug the saw and I lift him onto my lap. And I say, Cooper, what you're doing is so dangerous. I understand that you want to be just like dad. But one of my primary goals as a father is to protect you. And that's why in the Bible it says, honor your father and mother because they're trying to keep you safe. They're trying to give you the best path forward in life. So I need you to never touch these tools when I'm not here. You need to go inside the house. You can keep this stuff on if you want to, but you cannot be out here. You can watch through your window. You can watch through the window. You can hang out with with your sister or mom, whatever, but you cannot come out here because I do not trust you anymore. And when you build that trust back up, maybe you can sit and watch. And when you're older, I'll teach you how to use these tools. Do you see how the same emotion meant to make me aware of a problem comes with two different solutions, one that is really bad and one that does exactly what God is hoping? It actually creates a deeper connection with God and a deeper connection with those around us. Well, Paul continues. He says, Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Once again, this one's pretty straightforward, right? If you steal my stuff, we are not friends. If you steal my stuff, we will have some issues. We will have some disconnection. So instead... What God tells us, what Paul tells us, is very simple. Do an honest day's labor. Right? Don't take from people because you, they have what you want, but instead, work hard. Use the gifts that God has given you to provide for you and your family. But he doesn't just leave it there, does he? He goes one step further. He says, you work hard not just to line your own pockets, but to actually give to the world. Because if all you're doing is working hard and using the skills that God has given you and gifted you with to make yourself comfortable or rich, you actually are stealing from yourself because you aren't feeling and experiencing the full transformation that God wants to give you, a life of generosity. You see, instead, what does the scripture say? You work hard to share with those in need which means you use your resources to support maybe a local ministry, maybe a national ministry, maybe a global ministry, maybe to support your own endeavors to connect people with God and connect people with you or those around you. Well, Paul continues. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Once again, he, he sets this contrast. You have the option of evil talk or, or talk that builds up, right? You can tear people down with what you say so quickly, or you can build them up. Now, words were never meant to tear down. They were always meant to build up, to, to give people a better path forward. How, how Jesus said it was that, that not only should we not let unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, but the words that come out of our mouth actually stem from the heart, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which means 
the closer we are connected with Jesus Christ, the more we are aware of his word and living out his word and experience that transformation of our hearts, the words will impact the people around us in a positive way. And once again, fulfilling God's ultimate goal, connecting them in a deeper way with Jesus and connecting them in a deeper way with us. Well, Paul brings us to a conclusion. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you are marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Now, this is, this is the catch-all. Right? He gives all the examples of a better way to live, a better way to act, a better way to connect with God's ultimate goal, and now he just does the catch-all, which is, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, to understand this, we have to understand what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The purposes of the Holy Spirit are very simple, to connect and draw people to Jesus Christ. Which means if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit and you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Meaning you are marked as royalty. You are son and daughter of the king. And you're connected with all the other sons and daughters of the king. So if this is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, what would make the Holy Spirit upset? What would grieve the Holy Spirit? The answer is if we do anything that gets in the way of his primary work, connecting with people, people to Jesus Christ, and connecting people to the family of faith. If we do anything that goes against this goal of God, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. So what Paul has covered here, these are our vows as believers. And if I put them all on paper, if we just read through that section like I did just a moment ago, everyone in this room would say, of course. Right? Of course I'm not going to lie. Of course I'm not going to steal. Of course I'm not going to do any of these things that would create dysfunction or disconnection. Of course, intellectually, we would never do that. It's like our, our vows that we, that we share on our wedding day, right? Of course, this would never happen. We would never break their trust. We would never hurt them. I love them so much. But we aren't that naive, right? Because we fail and we hurt each other from time to time. So what is our option? Paul tells us. He says, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So what is our hope? Our hope is forgiveness. Our hope in life is forgiveness, right? We need the forgiveness of God offered through Jesus Christ for this life and for the next. But when it comes to our relationships, our friends, our coworkers, our teammates, whatever that is, our marriages, we need this too. We need to receive forgiveness and we need to ask for forgiveness. And we need to extend forgiveness even when it's incredibly difficult. This past Sunday, as I was kind of closing up shop around here, I'm shutting off the lights and kind of doing some last second cleaning before we head out. My daughter runs up to me and she says, Dad, 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 Dad. I'm like, Kinsley, what do you want? Dad, I want chips pizza. They're like, what? I want chips pizza. Finally, I figure out what she's saying. I'm like, are you saying that you want chips pizza? Yes. And I'm thinking, what is chips pizza? And then it hit me. She wants taco pizza with the chips on top. 
Now, I don't know how much you, you know me, but it takes very little to encourage me to get pizza. So I said, Kinsley, go talk to your mom, and if she wants to go, we'll, we'll go get pizza. And so she comes back. Yeah, mom's good to go. We'll, we'll get some pizza. And I said, great. Now, I know in this room, if I did a poll, we all have our favorite pizza place in the Sock Valley to go to, but I have one. I call it God's Pizza. This is Pizza Ranch. You walk in, they're playing Christian music. I like the pizza, so it's a whole thing. We don't need to debate it, but that's my place. So when my wife, who's pregnant, wants to have pizza, and my daughter wants pizza, we're in the car and we're going to Pizza Ranch, and that's where we went. So we paid our bill, we got our plates. I got a plate for Kinsley and myself. My, my wife, she got a plate for Cooper and herself, and we sit down, and right about the time when we're about to start eating, this married couple comes in. They have a little son with them, and they are at each other's throats. I mean, it is loud, it is disruptive, and I couldn't look away. And I'm just watching this unfold, and I'm trying to figure out, why are they so mad at each other? Now, as I listened, I eavesdropped, I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. As I'm listening to the conversation, I kind of figured it out. The wife apparently inferred or said, I want to go to Pizza Ranch. And the husband knows, right? Happy wife, happy life. Now, he didn't want to go to Pizza Ranch, apparently, but he thought, if she wants to go, we'll go, and everything will be great. So they come in. He's got his plate full. He's walking back, and apparently somewhere along the way, after paying and getting his plate full, she decided she didn't want to go to Pizza Ranch anymore. And so he's walking with a plate full of food, yelling at his wife over his shoulder, and they're just going at it, and I'm just watching this transpire. Pretty soon, they put their plates full of pizza down, they get up, and they walk out. No reimbursement, no pizza. They were so angry that it just rolled out of the establishment. As I watched them walk out, I turned to my wife and I said, Ashley, how angry do you have to be to not eat pizza? How angry do you have to be not to eat God's pizza? You know, I thought about this week and I thought about this passage. I wonder... I wonder how often God looks down on us and says something like that. Man, how angry do you have to be to not eat God's pizza? Now, of course, he doesn't say it like that. But I think he says something like this. How angry, how upset do you have to be not to realize the gift that you have in others? How angry, how upset do you have to be not to realize that with just a little bit of forgiveness, you could be closer together. How angry, how upset do you have to be to not realize that you are better together? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to, to gather around the truth of your word, this timeless word that speaks to us in this day, just like it spoke to these people back in the first century, as Paul spoke to this church in Ephesus. And so, Lord, we thank you for this journey that we've been on together, as we have been learning what this church learned and applying it to our lives and walking in your path, Lord. And so, Lord, today, I just pray that we are people of forgiveness. No matter where our relationships land, no matter how important those relationships are, whether it's a son or a daughter or a spouse or a friend or a teammate, 
Maybe it's our boss. Maybe it's our coworker. Lord, whatever relationship that you have gifted us with, Lord, may we never take it for granted. And may we always seek to receive forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness, and to extend forgiveness. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, as we continue to uh, pray for our current reality, we do pray for all those who are sick with COVID-19. Give them healing. For all the medical professionals, Lord, give them wisdom and strength. For those who are battling financial concerns and going through difficulties, Lord, provide for them. For all those who are battling mental health concerns, Lord, give them hope. Specifically, Lord, in our congregation, we pray for Dessa Caravan as she rehabs from her bout with COVID-19. We pray for our missionaries around the world who are dealing with different realities of COVID-19 and, and different restrictions, Lord. We pray that the message of Jesus Christ will not be limited by this disease. We also pray for Don and Carol Sisson as they recover from COVID-19, and also Lyle and Mary Jo Shelp as they do the same. Lord, for anyone not mentioned on this list, anyone uh, who's now stuck at home, Lord, watch over them, protect them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we also want to pray for all those who have other health concerns in our community. We pray for Ernie Little as he battles cancer, Frida Lass as she goes through rehab for her stroke, Lori Mott as she goes through tests, Mark Sandrock and his ALS, Kathy Shoemaker and her cancer, Sandy Krogstad and her stroke, and Rick Curley and his health. Lord, for all these individuals, put your healing hand upon them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we also turn our eyes to those who are recovering from surgery or looking towards surgery. We pray for Luann Spencer and her knee surgery, Dave Wagner and his back surgery, and Randy Strickland and his back surgery. Lord, we ask that you promote healing in their body. Steady the surgeon's hands as they work to serve them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we also want to lift up those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. We grieve with those who grieve, and so we grieve with the Sisson family at the passing of Lloyd, the Parker family at the passing of Brock, the Freiburg family at the passing of Al, the Damhoff family at the passing of Jake, the D'Souza family at the passing of Jidel, the Nelson family at the passing of Shirley, the Dirks family at the passing of Donna. Lord, for all these families, may they trust in your promises, and may that hope get them through this dark time that they know that those who are in Christ Jesus, that this is not the end, but it's just the turning of a page to a brighter tomorrow. And Lord, we look forward to being reunited with them forever. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we also want to stop and say thank you for the ways that you have healed us, you have shown up in our lives. And I know there are many things that are not on this list, but Lord, let me just pray a prayer of thanksgiving for everyone in this room, everyone watching online. Lord, thank you for being who you are and showing your love to us day in and day out. But specifically, Lord, we pray along with Joe Dunbar. We thank you so much that he has been healed of COVID-19. And Lord, we also thank you along with Al and Nicole Lewis for the birth of their son, Braxton Wayne. And so Lord, we thank you for all things. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord.